We're back with a quarantine edition of Five Tool Deal. I'm Paretsky. I'm JR. As always, here to help you get smarter on everything mergers and acquisitions. What are we covering this week, JR? Right. Uh, well, this week, we have a pretty interesting deal that's right up your alley, Paretsky. We have New York Times acquiring Autumn. Uh, who they are? Absolutely. Autumn is a middleman that helps traditional media publishers that create long-form journalism. Think The New Yorker, The Atlantic, other such companies connect with voice actors via their platform in order to turn those long-form pieces of journalism into podcasts that can be listened on Autumn's app, which involves a, a, a paid subscription in order to do that. Right. And I think it's uh, interesting to note just because given the time that we're all going through with this crazy pandemic going on right now, Corona, COVID-19, that's kind of changing everything in our worlds today. It's also kind of changing the podcast industry where we see, you know, in the weeks of kind of that major drop off of the or major, I'm sorry, upswing in terms of the cases and the drop off of the market, we saw a decrease in podcast listening um, from 8% and then another 2% in the two big weeks of kind of when everything blew up. Um, but it is interesting to note that even though it dropped off entirely in terms of the big, uh, big overarching numbers, the ones that covered Corona saw a 50% increase in viewership or listening. I guess I, I don't know what's the actual terminology for viewership in terms of podcasts. I have no clue. Um, but very interesting to note because I think audio listening and podcasts is definitely on the uptick. But uh, this is taking a hit because people aren't commuting. So they don't have nothing to listen to. They don't need them to listen to while they're sitting on the train or the bus or whatever. Yeah, I think that's uh, super interesting, JR. Great point on the commuting front. That is a huge portion of podcast listening is down on the commute. And with so many fewer people commuting, there a lot of people have dropped some of their podcasts from, from, their, from their diet. But uh, they're also maybe not looking to listen to the same lighthearted or – fun or you know, say business educational like our podcast for example that they might otherwise and are instead shifting some of that towards uh, coronavirus focused content or other just general news content from organizations that they trust uh, and as a, a, a wise man once told me in in times uh, when times are good we often look to young revolutionaries for, for leadership and guidance on paving a, a brave path forward. But when times get a little bit scary, we look for gray hair and we look for those names that we can trust and rely on. And so definitely organizations like the New York Times, who we'll talk about at length, uh, are reporting upticks in, in their podcast listening in this time. Very uh, interesting. But with that, JR, let's, let's dive in. Let's get it. Yeah, let's kick it off. All right, so before we dive fully into the New York Times strategy here in the acquisition of Autumn, 
I think it's important that we start a little bit just by talking in kind of broad strokes about how the internet has changed the news industry, because that's, that's really important foundation, I think, to have to discuss this deal intelligently. Interesting. So we're going to go all the way back. Okay. All right. I like where you're going. Let's start big picture. All right. You want to kick us off? Keep going. I'll let you go. I'll let you run with this for a little bit. Absolutely. So when, when news moved online, instead of having this, uh, you know, traditional magazines and newspapers with lots of long form articles, and you would buy this massive piece of content, whether or not you would want it all or not, it turned into being much more about individual articles rather than, say, buying this full bundle. And that led to competition to draw people in just to that one article rather than really being as important about having a brand that you could trust. And so this led to clickbait. This has led to shortening attention spans. And really importantly, a lot less lower overall consumption of the type of long-form journalism our parents grew up on. Dare I know my dad still reads the New Yorker cover to cover, but the people that do that in our generation are few and far between. I personally don't know anyone that that's our age that does that type of thing. <laughs> no, I completely agree. I think, you know, two things really stuck out. The short attention span, 110% is that the case? I mean, I don't think any, I mean, you see newsletters, right? I think that's one of the biggest things. Everyone's reading like little snippets here and there, um, you know, kind of throughout the day. They're not really sitting down and dedicating like a whole hour or two at all at one time, or at least often are they doing that um, to really read end to end cover to uh, cover. I got to ask, is your dad reading a physical copy or is he reading oh, it on, yeah. online? Oh, yeah. I love that. Love Papa that. Ray Paretsky is definitely, uh, definitely reading that full, that full copy. Wow. <laughs> and occasionally sending me pictures of cartoons that, uh, that he thinks I'll enjoy. Oh, and I hope, he, <laughs> hope he's doing the crossword on the back, too. Yeah, my, uh, not to go too far down this, this rabbit hole, my dad's a, a bit of a crossword legend. He does these things called cryptic crosswords. Oh uh, which actually I think the New Yorker popularized in the late 90s in the U.S. I think they're originally British, but they take all of the elements that most people probably struggle with in crosswords where it's like, OK, you just have a definition and you need to think of the word that fits in that space and adds in the element of the definition is actually hiding the real clue. And I don't even know how to describe it, but it's uh, I recommend you look it up if you're interested. These things are incredibly challenging. <laughs> wow. That sounds way over my pay grade, but all right. <laughs> Anyways, getting back into, into our deal here, uh, with, with digital news really changing the industry like we've discussed, uh, it also led to the ability of launching on-demand audio content, so which is primarily podcasts rather than, rather than radio. And what Autumn saw with the decrease in consumption of long-form journalism via reading but publishers were still creating really good, high-quality journalism that should be reaching people, but that they weren't necessarily willing to read anymore. They saw an opportunity to give publications an opportunity to better monetize long-form content because there's a, a major difference in consumer behavior between readers and listeners. Whereas readers have incredibly short attention spans, listeners, generally speaking, are willing to accommodate content that isn't necessarily quite as direct and isn't as brief. They're willing to consume more narrative, longer stories. And so as a result, Autumn realized that by pairing these publishers and by helping them turn this work that they've already created into long form content, 
they could provide a really valuable service both to those publishers and get people who like that content but maybe aren't willing to read it an opportunity to pay for it. Interesting. So basically, they're trying to take long form articles that people weren't really reading at the volume, right? At the scale that they maybe have once had, right? New York Times used to produce, you know, be known for their just their iconic newspaper that every parent in the world pretty much read, right? So and now that's not really the case. No one's really, you know, there's one, it's very fragmented. I think it's fair to say that just from a news producing and you know putting content out there, I think article to article, there's there's a lot of content available for you to click, right? I mean, it's all about what pops up as one of the top Google searches when you search a topic. So um, there's a lot of options, but they really have been trying to you know hone in on the volume that they haven't been getting, right? So they're trying to get that through this new emerging market of podcasting is what I'm what I'm kind of t- picking up on this. That's that's absolutely right. And I think that, you know, podcasting isn't isn't the only method. It's really important. You know, all of these news organizations are focused on all three of the what I what I what I would call the core content pillars. And they're all interlinked, right? And I would say that's text, audio, and video. And text is really the traditional way that news has been published, but increasingly a lot of people watch their news in video form or are getting it in, in audio form. And you can have the same reporters doing the same work, but in order to reach the broadest audience, you now need to prepare that news in multiple formats or even all three formats. Very interesting. Um, and, uh, you know, eventually we might get to a point where there's a, you know, a fourth one added there, like VR or something like that, for example. Wow. And there's already been some interesting experimentation with creating journalism that actually takes you into, you know, the middle of a war or, you know, that puts you VR into the, the, the news that you are consuming. And that can be a really powerful way potentially in the future that people might start consuming certain types of news. But to date, VR has been a little bit of a letdown compared to how quickly people thought it would emerge because one, the technology isn't quite there yet. And two, you know, it's still very cumbersome relative to audio, text, or video, which everyone can do from anywhere on their phone. VR still requires a lot of specialized equipment that uh, people aren't necessarily carrying around or willing to use at any point. But it's an interesting potential uh, potential avenue there in the future. Right. And it might be a little bit more than uh, your $7.99 or your whatever, $8.99 <laughs> subscription yep. um, to put that content to work and get the volume and uh, get actually the return on your investment with that. But uh, I could totally see that being the case for our grandkids, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Our grandkids could be like, wow, like, you listened and watched the news in 2D? What's a newspaper? <laughs> What's a crossword? <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, but anyways, in terms of the New York Times' current audio strategy, because this, this acquisition, I think, is really focused on that audio pillar of, of their content. So in terms of their current audio strategy, they, they only recently, in the last couple of years, launched their first podcast, The Daily. And it was a huge hit almost immediately. Its first episodes near the top of every podcast app's charts. Um, that said, it isn't, despite being incredibly popular, it isn't incredibly lucrative as a standalone product from a revenue perspective. It is, you know, they monetize via ads to some extent, but it's entirely free to listen to. And its main purpose in the broader picture of the New York Times' strategy is as the top of the funnel to try and lead to subscribers. For those who might not know, JR, you want to explain what uh, what top of the funnel is and how sales funnel works? 
Right. Top of the funnel is just mainly what their focus is, right? What's the majority of where their sales pipeline comes from? So what you're kind of getting at, correct me if I'm wrong, is that, you know, what I've, I read a little bit into this too, is that their strategy is really to become that subscription first content provider where advertising is more that second, second revenue stream, right? Yeah, that's, that's, I think that's definitely correct right now. Right. They'd love to have a healthy mix of both advertising, but also direct subscription, direct patronage from the people who appreciate their news. Right. And I, and, and I think, yeah, go on, Jeff. I think it's interesting to note, right? Because it's subscription versus ad revenue is kind of a, a big thing. But if you also think about it, their subscription has largely been on, you know, what the long form, you know, newspapers and newspaper articles um, versus, you know, more digital, maybe advertising, you know, or advertising in newspapers. And they're trying to uptick the downplay or the downturn of their paper subscription services and increase kind of this digital subscription model, right? Def- definitely true. Definitely true. And and they definitely struggled with that transition at first. And pretty much all of the legacy news organizations did. Um, since then, they, they have made great progress and have had a lot of people subscribe to their digital product. And whether they get any physical news or not, if you subscribe digitally, you get access to, say, their crosswords and uh, all of these articles, which maybe aren't quite as long as they used to be uh, in the physical newspaper print, but which still are some, you know, very high quality journalism. And some of the, you know, I know certainly having gone to Northwestern with one of the premier journalism schools in the country, uh, we have a lot of a lot of alumni that that join the New York Times, and that still is a you know, one of the most respected brands in in news. Yeah. Um, but so for them, the Daily, this podcast is a free product. So whether you're a subscriber or not, you can access it. And certainly more people listen to the daily than our New York Times subscribers. And so because it's at the top of the funnel, they use it to try and bring people in to get them to start associating with and using the New York Times and then hope to eventually convert them at the bottom of the funnel to being a paid subscriber. And I think it also kind of goes into, yeah, I'm sorry if I kind of went off on a tangent there. But yeah, the, the also the other piece is also trying to more target it, right? It's a targeted audience that they can kind of acquire through, you know, the attention of more focused content and what their viewership actually wants, right? Yeah, so Jeff, sorry, are you talking about the podcast specifically, The Daily? I'm just talking about content in general, like just New York Times in general, the funnel down revenue approach of trying to reach the volumes, but also, you know, to get someone to subscribe, they have to be able to, you know, have a consistent revenue or consistent content that they're really looking to achieve in, you know, becoming a subscriber, right? Definitely true. Definitely true. And, I, you know, I'm sure that's different for different people. Some people probably want it for uh, the for the politics content. Some people probably want it for their New York sports coverage. Some people probably like the New York times for their economic content, whatever it might be. Right. Different people might have, might have different preferences and the daily is giving them a dose of all of that, right? It is reporting different stories that cover all of those spectrum and give a lot of different people a taste of what they could have more of if they became a subscriber. Um, and they also use, uh, I, I listen to the daily on a regular basis and consistently they're bringing in the reporters who are talking about 
uh, all of these stories and giving you a sense of how much effort it goes into to actually d- to break uh, the news stories and to uh, call out cor- corruption in foreign governments or to you know break a corporate scan, whatever it is. And they're hoping to use that in order to drive you to a subscription. And that's, and that's really the main focus of their current audio strategy. But the autumn acquisition kind of signals a phase two, a shift and a development in that audio strategy. So starting off with kind of the short term, how they plan to use autumn. Um, I'm interested to hear your thoughts, JR, but from, from my perspective and from everything that, that I've read, it seems like they plan to keep autumn's current business model i.e. their autumn will still have relationships with other publishers, the New Yorker, the Atlantic, etc. Um, and they'll continue to generate subscription revenue because autumn does have a, a fairly large number of subscribers, I believe. Uh, but they're also going to now use the platform that autumn has and the expertise that they have to convert a lot of existing New York Times content into long form podcasts, which they're going to release some of, I believe, in the autumn app only for paid subscribers and some of which they're going to sell ads on and then release either as separate podcasts or in the, the daily feed in order to monetize that way. Have you seen anything else around how they're planning to use autumn in the short term? Yeah. I mean, I think you harped on a lot of the things. Um, I also wanted to bring up, you know, this isn't the first time they looked at acquiring another, you know, another podcasting Mm. company. They recently also looked into, you know, serial productions, which is another, you know, fairly large, um, you know, podcast platform that actually is funny enough. There was some article that said that one of their own media columnist columnists won't won't say the name, throw him the bus, but he he actually <laughs> even called out before the deal was announced that the combination with the daily would kind of serve as the bones for helping them become you know the HBO of podcasts. And I really loved what that saying brings to the table in terms of what this deal is really standing for, because it makes total sense, right? It's, it's, it's high class. It's a subscription model. It's good quality content that's being delivered. And I think it fits exactly the strategy and the approach here. Um, And they were saying how, you know, the autumn subscription model, you know, because they autumn had already been and leveraging a subscription model could add significant value to this same movement. Right. Um, You know, Yes, to your initial point, they do plan to continue with their current um, platform and their current way of going about business in terms of, you know, the current content podcast that they're putting out and um, those that are reading the stories. However, you know, there is a potential concern there that they identified or that I read about that, you know, it could lead to dragging the daily away from viewers, you know, from some of those not wanting to download um, a separate app even if it's free, for example, right? I know that they once, you know, were able to do or whether that be, you know, they may not want to affiliate, you know, some of their current people that read out loud. um, Some of those articles may not want to affiliate with New York Times for whatever reason. You know, there's all these different ways that could be interpreted and ways that these people could go about it. But I think Autumn has looked at it very positively and saying that, you know, this couldn't have been a perfect time is what they said, you know, with everything going on, they kind of were very happy to have this be a little bit of an escape or a savior to some extent. And they're going to start, you know, producing some of their New York time articles every Sunday and uh, putting them out there for listeners. 
Yeah, JR, you covered a lot of, of really interesting stuff there. Um, focus on two things you said that I think are really interesting and really get into kind of the different questions around the different ways, because we don't know, so we can only speculate on this, how the New York Times will use the autumn acquisition in order to build its audio strategy in the future and a potential serial acquisition, which is still definitely on the table, uh, how that might play into it. But one thing that you, you touched on that, that is a really interesting possibility is the New York Times deciding they want to develop the HBO of podcasts. They do already have a really premium, high-quality podcast, which uh, I believe they have a 30-person team, basically, that is only producing that one podcast, uh, which is, you know, it's a daily podcast, so it requires a ton of work on a, on a regular basis, but still, that's, that's crazy. Uh, and if they continue to create that type of premium podcast content and they add something like Serial, which is one of the most well-known, uh, 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 for those who might not know, it's kind of sparked the true, true crime genre of podcasts, one of the most popular genres, and really popular. I mean, the first that's the first podcast I listened to. Wow. The first I ever heard of podcasts was because of Serial. Mm, so, I didn't know that. Uh, and that's true for a lot of people. I don't know exactly the numbers on it, but Serial is credited with popularizing the podcast media. Wow. Um, and obviously now Serial Productions, the company behind Serial, does a lot more than just that or that series. But uh, it that that would be a really interesting acquisition for the New York Times if they wanted to pursue that strategy of premiumizing content and then putting it all behind a paywall. Mm -hmm. That said, JR, like you hinted at, there are some downsides to that strategy. And the New York Times might not want to pursue it for a few reasons. First off, if you put the daily behind a paywall, all of a sudden you're going from reaching I think they're reaching something like three or four million people uh, downloads per episode right now. And uh, maybe even more than that. Maybe it's closer to four or five at this point. Uh, but you're all of a sudden going to lose a huge amount of that audience. And that might hurt your top of the funnel strategy. It might hurt your subscribers in the long term, even if you are in the short term going to make more money off of that content. Uh, and so in that, in that case, it might not be a, uh, a perfect strategy. Um, so I think those are kind of two interesting considerations, right? One, using this acquisition of potentially Serial to launch a premium podcast platform that you would pay for. Two, to continue to use Autumn to, as a top of the funnel tool to extend their reach in, uh, with, with people and then drive those people to subscribe to the New York Times. And then a third thing that I think is kind of interesting is that... Uh, if they use Autumn to continue building relationships with other news publishers, right? So Autumn already works with a lot of, a lot of the big players in news. Uh, they might be able to use it to help launch their own news aggregator. So something where it's not just content created by the New York Times, which would allow them to better compete in distribution, not just in content creation, but with, with compete in distribution with companies like Facebook, who is now distributing a huge portion of the news that is consumed in the U.S., or a company like Apple with their Apple News product, which is also a place where a lot of people go to get their news. So not all of those things are mutually exclusive. There could be some mix or match of the above, but those are kind of the three scenarios and the three use cases that I'm thinking about in the long term in terms of how the New York Times uses Autumn to advance their yeah, strategy. Yeah. Jared, what do, you, what do you think is most likely... Uh, right now, what's what's your uh, well, your? Prediction? I want to actually, while it's on my head, while it's in my <laughs> head, I want to fire off one fourth little idea. Um, again, okay, this yeah, is, yeah, is kind of going back to 
you know, it's a little out there, maybe a little bit of a stretch, kind of like our, um, you know, advertising in the clouds idea that we had at the end of clouds, right? But I think there's an opportunity here, right? They hire these well-known, um, you know, publicists to read these articles, right? So they're they're good at what they do, you know, they're actors, they're performers, but I want to take that to one other level, right? Like, what if they hired actual actors or performers from like movies to read a long form article? I mean, you're telling me you didn't see an article that maybe, you know, you were you were debating whether or not you wanted to spend, you know, the full 30 minutes listening or the full three pages reading. If you saw that Morgan Freeman was reading it to you. I was about I mean, to say, JR, I would listen. It doesn't even matter what no. the article's about. If it's narrated by Morgan Freeman, oh, I'm listening I'm to saying. it. That's what I'm saying. It's a golden opportunity there. Like, I totally think they should make that their uh, their fourth way of leveraging Autumn. But, um, but yeah, I think going back to your initial question of what's most likely, I mean, the real strategy, in my opinion, is that New York Times has been the content provider, right? They're, they're such a well-known brand. They bring so much to the table, so much credibility. And I think Autumn provides a new opportunity with a lot of growth um, opportunity for distribution. So media is content plus distribution. New York Times being the content, Autumn being the distribution. They're just repackaging New York Times content. I like it, JR. I'm going to go ahead and say I think it's going to be some sort of mix of those. I think they're, I don't think they're ever going to put the daily behind a paywall. It's too valuable as a top of the funnel product. I think they use Autumn to continue to grow the top of the funnel while also beefing up and increasing the revenue that they can get per subscriber by making it perhaps like a, an add on. You know, add on if you're already a New York Times subscriber, pay an extra dollar a month, and all of a sudden you have autumn access, something like that. Um, some sort of combination to help uh, both both maintain the top of the funnel, which is their current audio focus, as well as using it to generate more revenue per subscriber for people who do value that that long form content. All right, Jr. I'm gonna um, let's close out with with two final questions uh, that we should both answer uh, first. Besides Morgan Freeman, give me one actor who you want voicing your podcast articles. Uh, and then two, give me one quarantine activity that you've been getting into uh, because of the extra time, because of the limited travel, because of all the craziness that's oh, going on. Oh, man, this is tough. This is really tough. Um, I'm going to have to go with, ooh, I just watched uh, The Joker. So... I, I think it could be kind of interesting. It might be a little weird and might not might kind of send me off on the wrong wrong side, but um, might be a little get a little old if it's a long forum here and a, the Joker kind of read an article to me. Um, wow, uh, I'm gonna have to. Are you talking? Are you talking about the Joaquin Phoenix? Yeah. Well, I Joker. Kinda, I kind of like okay, the see. one from the Batman. Yeah. From the Dark Knight. Yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately, I hate to break it to you, but Heath Ledger, the actor right. who played right. the Joker in The Dark Knight, is yes. uh, no longer with us. Rip, rip. Um, rest in peace. Um, but, but, yeah, so, but yeah, Joaquin Phoenix Joaquin could, Phoenix be, good. could be good. Heath Ledger is obviously legendary in that, right. in that he's, movie. He's though. just an iconic brand there. I mean, he's always going to be the favorite of the Jokers, in my opinion. Uh, but going back to your initial question, I, I'm going to have to go with maybe, maybe the guy from... Um, uh what's the tv show 
in Britain where uh British British actor, yeah. good choice it's, already. It's gotta be a British voice. It's <laughs> gotta be go a British voice. And then in terms of your second question, <laughs> what have I been doing in my quarantining? Um honestly, I kind of started sparking up. I got LinkedIn premium. And I think some of the learning out things that it has and the opportunities it has is pretty interesting. And it's, uh, I've kind of been dabbling in there. Okay. Very interesting. Very interesting. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, the actor who voices Shrek, uh, Mike Myers, I believe. Okay. Because <laughs> uh, I, uh, I, I love Shrek. I think that would be hilarious. Maybe that would get old, but at least for one article, I think that would be an extremely amusing way to uh, to consume some news. And uh, the thing for me is I'm, I'm uh, I found a Rubik's cube and I used to know how to do it. And I've just been crushing it nonstop. And I'm uh, getting getting my my fingers all, all sorts of nimble back in the Rubik's cube. Wow. Game. Wow. Have you been uh, can you do it now? Oh yeah, I can I can do it. I got one uh, under under two minutes the other day. Pretty pleased with that. Wow, good for you. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm fully back. Yeah. Rubik's cube legend. If Mike I Kretzky. if if I started again, how long would it take me to learn? I'm sorry. Did, I'm sorry. You, if if I started from scratch, if you started from scratch, Kara, I'll I'll teach you. It'll it'll take you uh. It'll take you a total of two hours of instruction plus an additional let's say two hours of self-practice not that much okay i might i'm not double it all right (laughs) (laughs) well we'll see how fast of a learner you are all right good stuff all right but with that i think it's time we we wrap up our our podcast here uh but if you liked what you heard rate and review us five stars only subscribe on the apple podcast store or wherever you get your podcasts yep and if you want to reach out let us know of anything that you'd like us to cover anything that are super interesting to you or um you know anything that you would like us to change about kind of how we go about doing this you know you can email us at five tool deal at gmail.com again that is five tool deal at gmail.com thanks for joining us see you next time